0: You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Good morning, Discovering Discos. Today we discover the dark side of internet food reels, a new regenerative ag film and the celebrity starring in it, plus a major scientific breakthrough for those who shop gluten-free.
1: Welcome to Discover Ag, where food meets pop culture. We're your host, Natalie Antara, millennial cattle rancher and dairy farmer. And every Thursday, we go beyond the headlines to discover what's new in the world of food. Long time no see. I know. It's been a whole what, 48 hours, 24 hours? Yeah, I don't know. I will say, though, normally conferences are during the week. And this convention, I guess it was a convention, not a conference with American Farm Bureau. That's where we're at, if you weren't following along in our stories. Um, That's where we've been all weekend. But most of the time, they're during the week. And this was over the weekend. And I'm not going to lie. I woke up this morning being like, it has to be Friday. Like, (laughs) it's got to be Friday. And I'm like, nope, it's Tuesday. We still have an entire work week ahead of us.
0: You're like, man, it's been a grueling week. I put in the hours ready to kick back and I have four more days to go. <laughs>
1: I literally, that is the exact thought that went through my head. I was like, no, I have to work today. I need to homeschool for the next three days. Um, yeah, it's not where we're at in this point in life. But it was such an amazing weekend um, at American Farm Bureau. I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like we got so much done. We saw all the people. We recorded a podcast live on stage. It was amazing. Not just
0: the people, you know who we saw? We saw the discos. That is who we saw.
1: We saw so many discos. We were discoing in real life and it was amazing. It was so fun.
0: Actually, Uh, one of the initial, like, there was a women's breakfast meetup and Farm Bureau had given out, like, those Mardi Gras necklaces. And we were joking with uh, some fellow discos that we were talking with. They were like, oh, how kind of the convention to give out, you know, disco themed apparel for all the discos here. Totally coincidental. They had no idea. But I'm going to pretend that they knew what they were doing and highlighting the discos
1: at American Farm Bureau. They definitely were. We're just going to live in an alternate universe where everyone is discoing. But that does lead me into saying that we do have an interview at the end of this episode with Joby Young. And we're going to be talking about some of the topics that we covered actually at American Farm Bureau on stage. So stick around for that. Um, All right. Let's get into this episode for today. We want to thank our sponsor, Case IH. We had such a great weekend with them at American Farm Bureau as well. We took over their Instagram stories and it was so fun sharing about all of the tractors. So Case IH has solutions for every challenge, equipment for every farm, and Case IH is built by farmers.
0: I always crack up when I see you in a Case IH tractor because they're so big and then it's like teeny tiny Tara, but it is fun to kind of, you know, get in those those new equipment new shiny machines. All right, diving into the first article to discover today title, are you okay? Or have you witnessed a decade of what I eat in a day videos? So I absolutely loved this article. Um, I thought it was so fascinating. I enjoyed reading it. I think it's because it melded like two topics that you and I talk about a lot, which is social media and food and agriculture. But basically, the main idea was outlining how our algorithms across varying social media platforms and we can kind of dive into like the different ones because there's one that's maybe serving it up a little bit more, but it's all around how it's showing us people's meals much more, much more frequently and in much more detail. And then the article loops in how like experts are very concerned about this and what it actually means for our mental health.
1: Yeah, we've actually had this article sitting in our Trello board for a while. And I'm actually glad it worked out for whatever reason that we didn't cover it till now. Because I think it has been even worse going into the month of January. Like we're almost all the way through January now, getting really close to the end of January. And so you've obviously had all the New Year's resolutions, the diets, all the things. Like even last night, I sent you a story of someone like talking about the issues with the what I eat in the day. And theirs was actually like pretty comedical. It was like not... um it was talking about how much people were like putting effort into lunches. And it was like, oh my gosh, no, our lunches are supposed to be leftovers. They're supposed to be snacks. Like don't make this too complicated. And so it just, it reminded me seeing that story of how, you know, you can like brush this off as like, oh my gosh, you're fine watching videos of what people eat in the day. We don't need to make this a thing. But it is a thing like there is very much a thing of how it weighs on people in so many different ways, from like funny ways to very serious ways with like eating disorders and all of the in between of how big of a deal this truly is.
0: Yeah. So we actually covered this on stage live um, this past weekend at the American Farm Bureau conference. And I joked on stage that when I was reading this article, I could not stop thinking about the movie Mean Girls and how they're like, I think they're in the... Are they in the gym, maybe? And they're like, okay, raise your hand if you've ever been personally victimized by Regina George. And I was like, raise your hand if we've ever been personally victimized by internet food reels. Because like you said, it is something that like, at the surface seems like such a silly little notion to bring up or even pay attention to or maybe even have like a whole article written around. Um, But then once you kind of like get into the weeds and the details and like the different viewpoints of it, which is what we want to do next it starts to make sense. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see how actually this should be, this is and should be, you know, a very legitimate concern.
1: Yeah, producer Maddie's weighing in that she cannot stand it either. It's so unhealthy and triggering for people who have struggles or struggled with eating disorders. And that was like a huge piece of this as well. But before we get into that, I kind of like look at the history, like it is weird that now we see like, as you know, however many strangers like, whether it's one or whether it's 10 a day of what they're eating, like thinking about previous generation, the only way for you to know what someone was eating in a day is if you like literally like went over to their house, like called them and asked them, like it would, there's not like a planet that would happen on, right? Like it was very rare for you to know what people were eating. You could, I guess, like look in their shopping cart as you were shopping, but you just had no idea. And now like we know, we can know what anyone across the world is eating at any given time. And I don't know that it's like eating is such an intimate, personal thing. It's it's weird to me that we can do that now and that we choose to do that.
0: They're like, Sally is looking at my shopping cart again. Like, she's so weird. What is Sally doing? she's clicking in my window again? She wants to know what we had for breakfast. But you're right. That's what it is. It's like this very intimate look. And I was actually listening to a podcast not that long ago that it was not talking about food and you know what I eat in a day reels, but it extrapolated a much bigger picture where it was just talking about how we are consuming so much information. And I know that's like not new rhetoric to talk about, but the way they're talking about the podcast just really made me pause and think because they were talking back about literally how much our brain can compute and how much it is meant to compute in a day and even like store and remember and like all of that. And looking like historically we didn't need this information to survive, right? And that's what your brain took in, like everything it needed to survive. And now we have all this excess and all this noise. And so it does make you wonder, like, do I need to not even do I need to know what's going on? Like, should I like, how bad is it that I know what's going on in every aspect of the world in every corner of the home that I want it? deep dive into, you would had you would have access to that.
1: Yeah. I have seen a bunch of that coming up online. And, you know, thinking about like tragedies that happen all over the world. Like it can weigh so, so heavy on you, like as it should, like, but you don't want to diminish what something someone else is going through, like wherever it's at. But like, were we supposed to know every granular detail of like people's lives in so many different like from what you're eating to in a day to like wars happening all over the world, right? Like there's so much that we're being bombarded with, like on our nervous system.
0: I know. I mean, I literally had to stop watching the news because I just didn't want to take in that information. And so it is crazy to think, I mean, because it all of it. So the point of this is that while you think it's not affecting you, it is like there's a thing called confirmation bias. So whether you realize you know, you're absorbing this information or not, you are and you maybe you think you're not like maybe you think I can turn on the news and I can be fine. But maybe if they were actually to analyze you, your mood would have shifted, you know, maybe the half an hour after a major event on the news or half an hour after scrolling social media, you see a dive in some of your chemicals, you know, serotonin or like dopamine or whatever it is, you know, so you think I can handle this. And you think, oh, it's not triggering for me to see food choices or food meals. But then maybe later on at the grocery store, without even you realizing it, you choose one product or the other, or you tell yourself that you need to make this for dinner instead. Like it affects you, even whether you realize it or not. And I think that's kind of one of the main points for me.
1: Yeah. And this kind of gets me into actually something um, you said earlier that it's one platform worse than the other. And like, no surprise, it's TikTok that's kind of like the villain here a little bit. The hashtag what I eat in a day has a combined 19 billion views on TikTok. And I think what's crazy about TikTok is when you think about the TikTok algorithm, like typically on Instagram more, you're going to be looking at content for people you follow. So if you don't want to follow people that share what I eat in the day, you can like very easily unfollow them. Whereas TikTok is serving you up a lot more content, typically of people you don't follow, right? Like it's curating what you're going to see. And it has been proven that it is pushing out more like clean eating or like model diets or what I eat in the day content to people that are in like to people, no, to women, I should say in their 20s to 40s and even younger girls, like you thinking about your teens. And so it is very much targeting you whether you want to be targeted or not. And so I think that is one of the big issues with TikTok is you can't really like turn off that kind of content if you don't want to see it. Like it's going to feed you what you what it thinks you should be seeing.
0: Yeah. And the other crazy thing I think is how much we've been desensitized to some of this. Like you said that it's been seen that hashtag. What, you know, what was it? 17 billion or 7 billion or
1: 19 billion. With
0: okay. A B. 19 billion with a B in my mind. I'm kind of like, oh yeah, that makes sense for like TikTok. Like how, you know, that's, that seems to fit the numbers a little bit. Like just knowing trends and stats and like bringing other, I mean, we've talked about this over and over again, like the the numbers behind some trending you know,
1: hashtags. But if you remove that desensitization, that is crazy. Maddie is bringing in a lot of the hot takes today in our comment section. She also said, thinking about girls doing this in school cafeterias makes me sick. Oh, me too, Maddie. Like thinking about a daughter that my oldest is about to turn 10 and just like that she could be consuming content from girls being like, here's what I eat, like that are young enough to be in school cafeterias. Like, just the mental toll. I think that's another thing is I think as adults, we can say like, okay, well, it's not having that much of a mental toll, but thinking about our youth and how impressionable they are and just everything that is like wrapped up in that, it is, it is really, I don't know. I don't even know what the word is that I'm looking for, but like, oh, I hate it. I know not to pick on young girls, but you just sent me that post this morning. I was talking
0: about how young girls are getting like picked on or... I don't know, whatever, with Stanley, Stanley Cups. Again, another social media
1: trend. Oh my gosh. Yes. That Stan- there's like apparently a whole thing going on in schools that girls in like middle school or even younger, the post said, are getting picked on if they don't have a Stanley Cup. Like no... Like, I know this is not Stanley, like company Stanley's fault, but it makes me not want to have my Stanley anymore that it's like gotten like I've enjoyed having my Stanley. It's helped me drink more water. But beyond that, like, I don't know. These viral trends across Mm -hmm. the board, it's affecting all of us, but especially our young like women in our lives. Switching gears a little bit and thinking about the influencers, like kind of like, well, let's stop creating this content. So something kind of crazy that was in the article is that for influencers, a lot of times these are the best performing videos, that they get more views, more hits, more likes. And that gets me into the fact that I feel like when we're watching this, we do need to remember there's like motivation behind posting it, whether it is like monetary motivation, whether it's the views, the likes, the clicks, whatever it is, like, It is a performance kind of it is, you know, very curated content. And it's not their everyday life. Like it doesn't mean that this is what they're doing every day or eating every day. It is like a single capture moment in time. This even goes to a conversation you and I had
0: uh, off air, as well as we brought it up when we were on stage at American Farm Bureau. But there's that video that's trending right now of the mother who is serves her daughter, uh, cut up donuts for breakfast. She ends up throwing on applesauce at the very end, but I don't think anyone even <laughs> gets to that point before they Didn't probably even realize that. Yeah, <laughs> they probably scroll to the comment section and then start partaking in you know the the crazy conversation there. Um, but you know, when you brought it up, you were talking about how you know the mother's getting shamed for the the food that she's feeding, and then the people are getting shamed for shaming her, and like all of this different rhetoric. And in my mind, actually, when I first saw it, going to how polarized kind of we are in a place in society and and how the more extreme you can be basically the better your video is to take off i was like i just wonder if she just created it to be like i wonder if i can get this video to pop off and get a bunch of followers like maybe she didn't even feed that to her kid and then everyone in the world is going crazy over it right now and at the end of the day she might have sat down and had an entirely different meal you know
1: Yeah, I know. That's funny. It was about donuts because that same day that that video was going viral, I took the girls to go get donuts. And I'm not going to lie. There was like a little piece in the back of my mind being like, am I a terrible mom that I'm letting my kids have donuts? And I had to like stop myself and be like, no, you know what your kids had for breakfast already. This is like a fun treat. We haven't probably had donuts in months. Like, it's a one moment. And I remember sharing, I shared it to my stories. And I even thought, like, I wonder if someone's going to say something to me like, oh, you're letting your kids get donuts. And it's kind of wild that that's the world we live in. And it kind of brings me to one of the reasons like we want to go to South by Southwest is this entire idea of like fear mongering people over what they're eating, the food shame, the guilt that people are eating. Like, it's a wild time that we live in on the internet with food and just being able to share it on social media and how people take that, react to it and what it does to our mental health.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited for March and and South by Southwest. And I guess to wrap this up, stay tuned for what I eat in a day videos from Tara and I. (laughs) Just joking.
1: Yeah. That's what we're going to do every single day now. We're (laughs) just going to serve you guys up that content. Absolutely not. Okay, so we want to thank our next sponsor for today. It is Vote Silversmith. It is the iconic silver brand of American West. Both Natalie and I were wearing it this weekend at American Farm Bureau. So since 1970, Vote Silversmith has been owned and managed by members of the Vote family. And since then, every piece of silver has been manufactured in their factories in Old Mexico. And Vote currently has a Valentine's Day sale going on. So if you are looking to pick up something for Valentine's Day for yourself or even for a loved one, you can use our code discover and you can also get free shipping on all orders between february 3rd and february 7th vote also offers a lifetime guarantee on all of their silver pieces so again if you are looking for something special to spoil yourself or someone else use our code discover to pick up your vote silver
0: i was wearing my vote earrings this past weekend and one of them fell out and i did you guys drop Ugh, it was devastating. I don't know how I recovered. I don't know how I showed up to the rest of the convention. I mean, I pulled myself together. I'm proud
1: of you for pulling through.
0: Thank you. But their their pieces are just so beautiful and timeless. Like I knew I would have those earrings for years to come. You know, it's not like I just bought kind of like a trending piece or, or whatever. It's like I invested in that piece. I planned to have them forever. And I lost it. And it was tragic. But I just you guys, we cannot stand behind vote enough. All right, diving into our second headline to discover this week, title, Ian Summerholder reflects on living on a farm after retiring from acting. Quote, I love what I did for a really long time. The former actor served as an executive producer and is one of the many celebrities being featured in the new environmental film, Common Ground. So this is actually just an article out of People, and it was kind of interesting the way the title you know, was worded, it makes you think he's going to be talking about his farm more and like this transition and retiring. But it was really just kind of a plug for the new regenerative ag film common ground.
1: Yeah, I actually heard about this first on the toast, which is kind of funny, like not where you expect to hear um, someone covering an article about farming. But yes, I do think that the title was a little bit clickbaity and thinking you were going to like learn more about his farm. I actually was like, I am kind of curious about his farm and tried to like find more on the internet about that. But yes, it was about the actual film, which I wonder if like the film is kind of happy about that. Like, I wonder if it got more clicks thinking you were going to learn more about the celebrity and then ultimately you learned about the film. Like, I'd be so curious if like, people are happy with the people behind Uncommon Ground, if they're happy with the coverage of this or not. Um, because yeah, it, it definitely probably led to more clicks than it would. Have.
0: Oh, I'm sure they're absolutely I, I kind of wonder if it was even intentional. Did you know who Ian Somerhal was at first? Or did you have to Google him?
1: um i kind of had like an idea i don't know i feel like i didn't know all the details i knew i think that he was like some kind of vampire and he was married to somebody else that played a vampire like there's a lot of vampire like core going on in um in the summer her how do you say his last name (laughs) clearly don't know him that well i
0: say summer halter, but that definitely doesn't mean it's true
1: yeah i knew he was on vampire diaries which i never watched did you watch that no, but I was a pretty diehard Twilight fan. So, like Nikki Reed, I'm aware. Of. I
0: didn't know that about you, but I could totally see you being a Twilight fan.
1: My sister and I had a cutout of Edward Cullen that Stop just came it. out in our room. That was from the movie theater. Stop yeah, it. I have a shirt. <laughs> I have a shirt that says, um, "I don't remember now, but I definitely was a pretty diehard Twilight." I and mean, th- yeah, definitely. So I was not very familiar with him at all, but I actually.
0: I don't know if I still follow her, if I ended up unfollowing her, but I had followed for quite a substantial amount of time Nikki Reed. And she has been involved in this, you know, movement back to food, this, you know, regenerative, what a lot of people refer to it as movement. I mean, she does does a lot of activism, I would say. say. She's a part of a lot of big campaigns. So when I read in the article that they were married, because I didn't realize they were married, I was like, oh, this makes sense. Because at first I was like, Ian Summerhold, what's he have to do with, you know, Uncommon Ground? That's the, the film name. And then I was like, oh, he's married to Nikki. Okay, this totally tracks. Like, this makes sense for me, how they got involved in this.
1: Yeah. So Uncommon Ground is actually like the sequel, I guess, to Kiss the Ground. I guess that's kind of how you'd say it, which is another regenerative ag film. I have not actually watched either, which is kind of shocking because I feel like I always watch films that are about farming or agriculture, even like the terrible ones on Netflix. So I need to probably devote some time to watching these. But I thought what was like made me put this in the lineup for Discover Ag was actually, I thought it was fascinating how The Toast talked about it, right? Like two girls from New York City, like obviously not involved in agriculture. And one of the things that like really surprised me is they were like not interested, obviously in watching this film. And they were like, quote unquote, no one is watching this. And they had just got done talking about Ballerina Farms and like that controversy. But their end quote was not even Ballerina Farms is watching this. So it just makes me think like, how is agriculture so missing the mark on like, there's incredible stories to be told about agriculture? How are we not like producing films that people are interested in that? people do want to watch
0: this is something you and i talk about all the time almost to like the point of what is it like at nausea is that what sometimes people will say like we just talk about it so much because that's i mean one of the core missions of this podcast it you know discover is to position food and farming in a way that feels fun and millennial and fresh and hip and cool and sexy and like all the different things that traditionally no one associates food and farming and agriculture with and so just to hear like you said the toast girls say like no one's watching that i don't have an interest in it i think if it had been positioned properly there would be so much interest in it you know there should be so much interest in it like it puts me on my soapbox of being like how can we eat food three times a day every single person know we need it and just not have like an interest in it it blows my mind. And it's not on the consumer. I do think it is on us to, to to figure out how we can position our topic better. Like we have a marketing problem. We know that.
1: Yeah. I mean, as I said, I haven't even watched it and I'm pretty interested in agriculture. Like that's a massive problem. Um, Getting back to Ian, I did find him kind of fascinating. Like his quote, I am like retired from acting, but like his farm is like just outside of LA and obviously gives him the opportunity to, you know, just pop into Los Angeles on a Thursday, be able to see the premiere of Uncommon Ground, like Like, I don't know. It doesn't doesn't feel like you're totally retired if you're popping in a movie premiere. Yeah,
0: I thought the juxtaposition between that statement and saying it on a red carpet film to an E! News reporter probably didn't fit. Like, I don't know. Something seemed off about the pieces.
1: Yeah, I couldn't exactly find out what he even farmed. Um, They said he has 18 pets. Uh, He did say he is an organic farmer and practices regenerative ag practices. And like his goal is ultimately to become a rancher. But he is not a rancher yet. So again, like I couldn't, what does the organic farm grow? Like it's obviously, again, going back to like Mark Zuckerberg, it's not probably paying his mortgage for a farm outside of LA. So that was kind of crazy. Something interesting that I found out about Ian, though, is that he called himself quote unquote primarily vegan in 2018. So I'd say it's a pretty massive switch to go from saying you are a vegan in 2018 to saying your primary goal is to become a rancher. Yeah, it is interesting. I wonder what an updated status on his
0: food he eats in a day reels would look like. Like, are we still primarily? you know primarily plant-based or has he shifted over ian we actually this is the content we want to see from you
1: yeah we really do all right get into the film maybe a little bit yeah okay so
0: the film as we said a couple different times is common ground it is a documentary that focuses on the need for sustainable and eco-friendly farming and it interviews and is narrated by multiple celebrities so Ian is one of them. Also, Jason Momoa, which he is the extremely good-looking, muscular guy from um, Aquaman. Isn't he a Game of Thrones? I mean, he's a Game of Thrones, too. Isn't he the...
1: Oh, yeah. He's her like blood of the moon or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Okay, so that's him. There's Demi Moore, which I'm sure most people are familiar with. And then Laura
1: Dern is the last one. Yeah, it's very like star studded for um, a film about agriculture. Uh, I'm curious, like everyone's tie to like why they got behind this. Like, how did everyone get in touch? Like, who is the farmer like truly at the core of this? Like, I don't know. I was just fascinated with that whole side of this premiere, I guess.
0: So I'll fill you in. The main farmer um, is Gabe Brown. So and there's actually different, uh, you know how there's like different images and promotional images. There's actually one of him standing in like a superhero outfit with like a superhero cape out in like a farm
1: background that
0: they're using to promote. Yep. Using to promote it.
1: I'm just curious, like yeah, how he got connected with Ian, Demi, like Woody, all these people.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could hypothesize that I think Gabe Brown was involved in Kiss the Ground, which I can talk about in a second because I did see it. it has been a minute. I feel like I watched it probably a year and a half ago. But maybe they just saw it on Netflix and wanted to be involved, you know, reached out. I don't know. I do think it's interesting now that I've said the word Netflix, I want to double tap on this. I think it is so crazy that Netflix even put Kiss the Ground on there because I feel like I mean, I'll get into a second, my thoughts about Kiss the Ground, but I am kind of
1: shocked that Netflix even picked it up. I feel like they are not
0: the most pro-supportive of this kind of narrative or conversation
1: when I was looking at like, okay, where can I watch this since I haven't seen them? And I think I Googled it and it came up Netflix. I was like, that has to be wrong. Like misinformation. like Fact check that. I don't think it's true. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it actually is true. Like I could watch it on Netflix if I wanted. Like it seems very, very shocking, surprising. Um, Ian and Nikki have, like you said, been involved in um, this film, like from Kiss the Ground. Like I think they said, we've been involved since like, for seven more years. Um, so they do seem like maybe some of the OG like celebrities that got involved and then it, I yeah I'd be fascinated to know like the timeline of who who introduced who, when did they get involved, what year, like just all of that information. So
0: in true Natalie fashion, another moment in my life that I forgot about until I was triggered reading something that reminded me, I actually got reached out to by the people of Kiss the Ground to promote Kiss the Ground on social media. And I remember at first, I was oh, so excited. I was like, I
1: feel like I did too now that you're saying this.
0: Yeah, you might have. I originally was so excited. I was like, okay, this is great. Like an agriculture film I can promote. This is so exciting. And then I sat down and watched it. And I will still say about 70% probably. I mean, I'm kind of guessing on these percentages because it has been so long since I sat down to watch this. And this was, you know, a year and a half, two years ago. Maybe I would have a different feelings if I watched it last night. But I remember then kind of feeling like, majority of the film I can get behind I like I support like this is really great and then I remember thinking oh but there are some key moments that I am just really disappointed about how they either positioned a couple things or talked about a couple things and I had such an eternal grapple like do I do this campaign because part of me was like okay yes there are a couple key points that I don't get behind but overall I really support this message and I think you know that message out there for a majority is better than not being able to have anything to promote. Right. You know, but then the other part is he's like, man, but do I really want to, you know, stand behind the whole film and I'm going to have people come at me for the parts that I don't disagree with. And I think there's so many different things we could extrapolate this from, you know, we could talk about how like, You know, regenerative versus conventional, we could talk about like the cancel culture of being like, well, I don't like you because now you supported something that you know, it's like you can have different feelings, I think about one kind of topic. I mean, there's just, I just remember that kiss the ground bringing up like a lot of different things for me.
1: Yeah, I felt very similar when we covered, like, To Which We Belong a little bit this summer when we did one of, like, our debunking series, but then we highlighted positive films, so To Which We Belong was obviously a positive ag film, and I loved so much of it, but there was a few points where I was like, ooh, like a little, you know tension there so i could see absolutely how you feel that and i do think i like we obviously ended up still covering that and i do think you can like say like you like pieces of a film with like while acknowledging there are like challenging points like i think when you say you like something it doesn't mean you have to like love every single aspect of it and be like fully behind all of it like and still acknowledge that it's like something positive for ag
0: well no you can and you should be able to but i don't feel like in today's cancel culture you can i feel like people take
1: a lot of what you put
0: online verbatim
1: No, I agree. I think you should. Yes, I'm I don't know. I'm agreeing with you that like you should be able to like say like pieces of this agree without having cancel culture for sure. So I'm not entirely certain when this airs. Did you see that like when it will be available? I'm assuming on Netflix again, I would think. I didn't see. I'm assuming Netflix, but I feel like I read somewhere in the article that said like it's in movie theaters. I'm sure like select theaters maybe are showing it. But I feel like things are moving to Netflix so quickly now. Like I was just while we were in American Farm Bureau, I was there one night by myself and I was like, oh, I've been wanting to see like the Hunger Game, new Hunger Game movies. And I couldn't believe it's already available to like purchase on different platforms. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's still full on in theaters. So I feel like we just like live in a different world where it's like it's in theaters. It's also available at your home streaming like you can get it everywhere.
0: I know I've been wanting to tap your Apple ID so that I can watch that. So remind me to do that later today. <laughs> but,
1: oh, I didn't end up buying it because it was like $20 and I was like, "Holy crap, like that's oh. so much money for just me to watch." I'll split but it. If you watch it too, yeah. I'll feel better, okay. but we 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 either have to buy it for $25 or rent it, and if we rent it, we only have like 48 hours, so we need to agree on a time uh-huh. frame that's like I think we could I think we can build that into our schedule, put it on our calendar, and we'll be like, "Sorry, husbands, we <laughs> We actually we have a film yeah. we have to watch it right now. <laughs> this is when Natalie can watch it. And this is when I can watch it. So we've got to watch this.
0: So for all the discos, I guess, and if you're interested in
1: watching this film, learning more about it, um, I
0: would stay tuned for maybe access to it outside of a theater. They do have an Instagram page. I popped over to it. I would say there's a lot of hype on it. There's over 100,000 followers, which I feel like is a lot for like a spinoff documentary. Obviously, you know, the celebrities that are promoting it probably have a large role to to do with that. But it's definitely out there. You guys can check this out. Um, and maybe once we get access to it, you might even find us doing like a hot off the press um, episode on it. You never know.
1: I know. That's exactly what I was thinking. All right. Well, before Natalie introduces our next article, we want to thank another sponsor, Tubes & Co. Fun story. We actually just recorded with Emily, the founder of Tubes & Co. this morning, and that episode and that interview will be airing um, in a couple of weeks. Um, But as you know, Natalie and I are big fans of Tubes & Co., which is obviously a beef tallow-based skincare line. It is not only skincare, but also into makeup, which is something we talked a lot about with Emily. Natalie and I, for the makeup, absolutely. Love the blush. I'm taking credit that I introduced her to it. Um, But there are so many products. Natalie is actually just getting started with the skincare starter kit. And I am also going to start trying the cleansing oil. And after our interview today with Natalie and Emily, I am also going to try the clear tonic. So I'm excited to try some new products as well as loving all of my products that you guys already know. I share about them in stories. Um, So if you want to try Tubes & Co., use code DISCOVER to get yourself a discount. And before we move on, we also want to highlight a podcast. Uh, it is called No Sugar Coating Pod. Are you tired of being tired and fighting with your body while emotionally eating or binge eating continues? Well, you are not alone. Emotional eating is not your fault and yet is something you deserve to fully overcome. Are you ready to gain massive insight into your emotional binge eating triggers and understand the root of why you are in self-sabotage with food and body? You will definitely want to check out emotional eating, digestive and hormonal expert, and Amber- She is the host of the No Sugar Coating Podcast with over 400 episodes deep diving, emotional eating, binge triggers, female hormones, gut issues, weight blocks, cravings, the physical, emotional, and energetic connections. After overcoming her own food addiction, binge eating, and emotional eating behaviors, now fully recovered, she is coaching over 1,600 women in the last 10 years. This podcast will help you build a newfound level of awareness that you've maybe never had before. So check her out. Anywhere you get your podcasts.
0: All right, diving into our last and final article to discover today: headline, scientists announce breakthrough discovery of safer gluten protein. So, this is actually an article out of Farm Progress, and it highlighted Kansas State University, um, their Wheat Genetics Resource Center, as well as the USDA's Agriculture Resource Service, along with support from Kansas Wheat. So, there's a lot of people coming together for this, but they announced in December that they have successfully used the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technique to reduce two gluten-coding genes. So basically, there's kind of like an elaborate description, but what they're doing is like cutting and replacing. So they're taking out a portion of the DNA and then replacing it. And in doing so, they can reduce the toxicity that people have um, with gluten in wheat. So this could be a major breakthrough. I think immediately a lot of people think of people with celiac.
1: I'm so glad I said this on stage, but I'm so glad again that you had to do that intro and all of that information, all the technical side of things. I also will say that um, during our interview with Joby, we're going to get into some of um, like American Farm Bureau's stances on this and some other research, maybe in the hog industry that's being done. Um, So if you're curious about this article, definitely stick around for that interview.
0: Yeah. Gene editing is really crazy to think about how it's kind of just coming to the food space and the capabilities I think it provides provides for not just uh, producers, but consumers like both ends of the spectrum. And that's something we actually dived into on stage is like, how will people actually feel about this? Like when this is rolled out? Will, you know, the
1: general public be behind gene editing? I know. I want to get into that. But before we do, you mentioned like this is a big deal for people with celiac disease. So celiac disease is obviously an autoimmune disorder that affects about 1% of people worldwide. So when you think about it like that, it's like, okay, well, 1% isn't a lot. But it is estimated that right now 30% of Americans avoid gluten and obviously not all of those have celiac disease. So I think this goes so far beyond celiac disease just for people who choose to avoid gluten as well. Like I always compare gluten kind of to like milk intolerances, that there's just a lot of self-diagnosis, that maybe you heard it worked for someone, you gave it a try, you felt great, and so now you're gluten-free. So there's just a a large portion of the population that would benefit from obviously like gluten-free for sure. That the article actually even
0: highlighted like numbers behind that. They talked about how it is a multi billion dollar industry and it's expected to grow by 10% still. So they quoted it just under 12 billion in 2023. Um, so it's clear, like you said, that even beyond celiac, I know I, I pulled them out and kind of like mentioned them first, but anyone, everyone who is like looking to, you know, shop, search, prepare, eat, consume gluten-free, like that's not going away. It's actually only trending upward, they're predicting.
1: Yeah, the researchers had a quote saying that they were actually surprised at like how well it worked, that it reduced the um, immunotoxicity, as you said, by like 47 fold. That's that's massive. It, It really does make me think of like how many other things could we do with like The gene editing to change things. Like, my mind instantly goes to peanuts and people that are like so severely allergic to peanuts. And I have actually read somewhere that there is work being done about doing like gene editing on peanuts to make it so that people aren't allergic to it, but that the peanut industry doesn't know if it wants to move forward with that because of all of the backlash thinking about like GMOs and like the non GMO movement. And so, getting to like one of your first points of like, how will consumers feel about this technology? I mean, peanut allergy is insane. We've covered that before on the podcast.
0: I don't know, even know a handful of months ago, but it is crazy, you know, the dangers of a peanut allergy in today's society and kind of just even the limitations. Like you think about, you know, in the classroom, like how that child, how it affects not only that child, but even it's like peers of like bringing in snacks. And, and so it is just, it seems like such an exciting time to be in food and agriculture when you have those capabilities at your fingertips but like to answer like for my opinion i just don't think the public is going to like the idea of eating a gene edited food and i don't know if that's not liking it with fully understanding what it means and still being like nope i don't want that introduced or if it's not liking it because again agriculture rolled it out in a way that consumers didn't understand it and there was fear behind it and questions and And if it would just been marketed differently, maybe it would be like, I don't know where it is, but I just I have a feeling that either or it's just not going to be generally well accepted, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is that people love innovation, but hate change. I think that this is like such a good example of that. Like in theory, I think they're like people will like the idea of like being able to produce something that people don't have an allergy to. But when it actually like rolls out and I do think the marketing is crucial and how we actually go about talking about it. But, you know, I think about the um, what is it, the golden rice that is a GMO that increases certain levels of vitamins that help, you know, children be able to reach their their vitamin intake. And like it, without that vitamin, they would ultimately like, go blind. And there are still people that are adamantly against that GMO. So I just don't know that if like people are going to get behind this.
0: It would be so interesting if the GMO, the people who rolled that out, that team, whoever that looked like, if they could consult with groups that are moving into that space and be like, here's what we learned. Here's what we would have done different. Here's our hindsight 2020. Because they are kind of, I feel like a group that could attest to going through something that was really exciting and did not turn out the way they probably expected it to.
1: Yeah, and looking at like the financial side of things, the global gluten free products market is worth over ten billion dollars in twenty twenty three and expected to grow another ten percent by twenty thirty two. Sorry, I was gonna I was like, wait, those numbers are the same. No, they're not. Right now, yeah, last year was twenty twenty three and they wanted to grow by ten percent by twenty thirty two. Uh so there's a lot of opportunity.
0: Discos, I just want to call out that last time that happened, Tara yelled at me for not listening to her when I restated something she said. And you guys know, tuning in Discos, actively listening to this podcast, Natalie already dropped those
1: stats, quotes, oh dates, timestamps. my I'm stamps. so sorry. I, got, I was in okay. my notes and by accident archived my notes a minute ago and got really flustered and had to reopen my notes app Uh, I
0: apologize. The discos are just going to be really well versed on the future projection of the (laughs) gluten free market.
1: (laughs) And I butchered the stat on top of that. So I totally ruined like even delivering it. I'm sorry. I should have just let you handle it. Usually I'm the stats girly and now you're taking over my job. I don't like it. You can have it back from moving on from this forward point. I will go
0: back to not talking about numbers and stats and you can have it back. All right. Switching back to the article and maybe flip-flopping it. I feel like we've talked about it from the consumer standpoint a little bit. One thing we did bring up on stage when we talked about this at American Farm Bureau was how this could mean a lot for the agriculture industry, too, from like the perspective of the opportunities that inventions and progress like this present Um, I think it would be really exciting. Like I would be so curious to know if there's a disco wheat farmer tuning in about what this could mean if like the farmer would have the ability to, you know, grow a different variety that maybe has reduced gluten content or like the variety that, you know, has been modified and like what that would bring to like the wheat industry and the agriculture industry as a whole.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's where I was going when I dropped the stat for the second time about the gluten-free market is like people are willing to pay like premium for gluten-free products. So if we could pass this down to the farmer, I think that'd be so incredible that like the opportunity that it could bring to their bottom line and just like a value added product that they're already maybe producing wheat. They wouldn't have to like change equipment or all of those things that like would go into when you think of like a farmer Adding a new product to their lineup or growing something new, a lot of times it can mean like a lot of infrastructure changes, like all of these things. But like this could be a way to add a product without changing like their entire portfolio and bringing more value to the farmer. So I think that's like a really cool piece of this. I, you know, I, in practicality, I don't know how that like gets passed to the farmer, but I truly hope it would that you would be growing this wheat and and be able to capture that value on farm. It makes me think of something you and I talk about all the time, another at nausea topic, but
0: like beef tallow and what that has, you know, could potentially do for the beef industry. I've actually had a really interesting conversation with a friend of mine talking about how like colostrum, I mean, we talked about Armra, a colostrum based product. We also know, you know, a skincare company, a dairy that is using um, colostrum products. We have this beef tallow. Um, My friend and I have been having a conversation about like what, if those scaled in, you know, to substantial portions in the wellness industry, in the skincare industry, like what that would mean for agriculture. And I do think that these kind of exciting offshoots are important for agriculture. Like it's important we continue to innovate in this way, in this manner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like talking about the colostrum, I mean, we sell our colostrum, but it's not like a high, like, High priced ticket item coming out of our farm, uh, whereas if you were selling it for a premium skincare line, like that could add a ton of value. Or even when we um, interviewed with Emily with Toops and Co, which you guys are going to hear, like being able to really use like nose to tail on cattle of actually turning every product that's coming out of cattle into something that is like very coveted versus it being like kind of like the leftovers or trying to figure out what to do with it like it being a high quality product and so i do think that's such a cool piece of like innovation and technology in the ag space it's just as you always say figuring out how we we get consumers on board through through marketing
0: I feel like we always end our articles with the ones that we want the most, you know, disco feedback on. I am very curious, everyone tuning in, like what is your guys's thoughts, opinions around like gene editing entering into the food space. You guys, as always know, you can drop us um, comments over in our discover ag Instagram page or um, Instagram um, messages over there work too. So hit us up, let us know what you think about gene editing
1: And with that, let's get into our interview. Today, we are interviewing Joby Young, Executive Vice President of American Farm Bureau Federation, A little bit about Joby. He first became Executive Vice President of American Farm Bureau in 2022. He has more than a decade of experience in food and agriculture policy, from the halls of Congress to the executive branch. He served as Chief of Staff to the Secretary of Agriculture at the USDA and as Chief of Staff in the House of Representatives. Joby travels the countryside to discuss the priorities of American Farm Bureau with its members and leaders at the county and state levels while also leading the AFBF team in Washington. All right. Well, welcome to Discover Ag, Joby.
2: Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you guys.
0: Yeah, we're
1: very excited for
0: this conversation. We just, you know, came out of a great conference this past weekend. And so we're excited to kind of continue the conversation and the theme here on the podcast. We actually just got done covering three really great articles right before this. And we want to continue the theme of two of them because I know that, you know, two of them are kind of pretty core important topics and ideas to, you know, American Farm Bureau as well. So I think the first one that we'll probably start with and dive into you know, we covered the article that was kind of on food content and social media and the mental health of the the combination of those two. And I think what we want to do is kind of extrapolate that out and go a little bit big picture and just talk a little bit about like mental health in general, you know, far beyond Food, which is the way we just covered it. Um, I know this is something that is important, you know, whether you're in agriculture or not. Like mental health is um, a resounding thing we should be prioritizing in all of our lives. And I know that American Farm Bureau is starting to do that for those in agriculture, that you're really bringing that topic to the forefront. And so, one big way you're doing that is through your guys's farm state of mind. And I was hoping we could maybe kick this conversation off with talking a little bit about what that is and just introducing that to our whole Discover community.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for being interested in the topic. It's a very important one for us at Farm Bureau. We're a member focused organization Several members across the country, primarily farmer, farmer ranch families, rural communities. And, and the reality is that we see, uh, you know, a lot of very concerning stats when it comes to mental health out in rural America and amongst farmer ranch families. And those are things like, uh, you know, that the uh, farmer suicide rates are can be anywhere from two to five times higher than the national average uh, farmer and ranchers is uh, up, up to about two times more likely to die by suicide compared to other professions. And you see 60 uh, percent higher rates of that in rural areas than you do in urban areas. So clearly it's a it's an area of concern and one that we've been focused on, as you mentioned, uh, through Farm State of Mind for about five years at Farm Bureau. And uh, a lot of the, that work has has been on, you know, discovering what the root of so many of these challenges are, reducing stigma and other things, and you're right. We did uh, announce just this week a project that we we have a lot of uh, high hopes for, uh, with a lot of partners, uh, which is a great way to uh, approach these topics out, out in rural America. And that is um, something we call the Farm Family Wellness Alliance, which we just which we announced at our convention this week. And uh, it, it's a really uh, a novel and 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 special and unique tool that we hope. Uh, will, will become a good resource for folks out across rural America uh, that might be uh, facing these issues. Maybe it's their own personal struggle or somebody that they're kind of keeping their eye on that's in their family or in their social network. And the, uh, the biggest, you know, the initial part of that is something called Together All, which is, which is a, a resource that, that gives folks a, an opportunity to connect anonymously, to uh, people that are from a farmer ranch background, understand uh, their their what their struggles might be and what some of the issues they face might be. And those folks, you can go on that platform and uh, utilize that sort of online connectivity to t- have somebody that you can anonymously share your story with and get support that way. And, and we think that uh, is a way that, you know, if, if, if you might have a hard time doing that with somebody in your family or in your community and and, and might be wondering about those things, whether it's your own personal struggle or kind of looking at a family member or a loved one or a friend or somebody else, uh, then you can get those resources and find a way to work through it. I will mention that that's all under supervision of licensed clinicians that that know these things. And then th- those folks sort of have the bedrock of a second step where if, if somebody uh, needs to move forward and, and get some of that professional help, they have an avenue to do that through that platform. So it's something that that we have a, a lot of hopes that it can be something that really makes an impact to to start to chip away at some of those bad statistics I mentioned earlier. Yeah,
1: that's incredible that you guys are, you know, that initiative was announced and you're like moving this forward even more beyond like the website and everything. Um, You know, this is such a taboo conversation still across the board, but even more so within agriculture. And I read those stats on your website as well. And they, they are super concerning stats. And I think one of the things that I loved about like the actual website the farm state of mind was the resources and tools that you have available i feel like we can all say like we know how important this is but we don't always know like where to get started when having these really hard conversations with like loved ones if we think they're struggling and or you know if you are the one struggling where to go to where to get started and so you know going on that website some of the things that i really saw um, that i thought were so helpful is the directory of resources and information so much information whether it be the hotlines that i saw or tools on how to approach Approach these conversations, it was, you know, a whole section on how to start the conversation. That's what it was titled, which, you know, obviously very direct, but that really is at the heart of it, I think, of where you have to get started is is simply having these conversations. And so I think that this website is personally something we should all have like bookmarked and just like have in our back pocket of you never know if and when you might need it. Um, And yet, Something we should kind of like review. Like it was going on the website was such a good reminder for me to be like, you know, just going through these tools before before you need them, before you think you need them, so that you you know where to find them, you know where to go to. Uh, and so, you know, what all is on the website? I, I mentioned a bunch of things, but where would you recommend people kind of getting started? Kind of that call to action of of what they can do on um, the Farm State of Mind.
2: Sure, you go to farmstateofmind.org dot org, and it's going to have so many of those resources you mentioned. Whether it's over so the introductory material about how to have these conversations or signs of uh to, to recognize of concern. If so it might be that you're kind of worried about or concerned about a loved one, you can you can look at that and, and and kind of give you a place to start about how to recognize things, what to do with that. Because as you mentioned, yeah, we're not we're you know everybody's walk around you're doing your normal everyday day in, day out, uh, whatever your profession is and 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 what your expertise is. And uh, your expertise, most of us is not in these sorts of things. So these sorts of resources can be very helpful to just start with and just figure out, you know, where to go from here. And then you can uh, utilize those uh, resources. And if you need to move into the Together All platform, I mentioned there's an avenue to do that there. And you can have those one-on-one conversations with somebody else who who, who shares your experiences, knows where you're coming from. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that, that sort of solitary nature, not knowing where to go, and then not, and then having to deal with that stigma or some of the barriers to, to, to working through these issues. So we're really hopeful that uh, that this makes a this makes a difference. And and again, yeah, farmstateofmind.org is the place to go, and we hope folks will make use of that resource. And um and we look forward to seeing good results from that.
0: You know, another thing that stands out to me a little bit with this is something that you know Tara kind of said, and I I just want to highlight it further is that that it is something we're all aware of, um, but at the same time, and we all you know all know how important it is. But at the same time, we usually think not me or not my loved ones, you know, just within probably the last, I'd say month, I have heard two really personal, powerful stories about mental health. One was when I was um, at American Farm Bureau this past weekend. And it was, you know, President Duval shared a very personal story about his connection to Farm Bill. And I know he shared it openly before about why he cares so much about this. You know, I think that speaks to the testimony of, you know, not me, I'm not the one that's going to need help, you know, with this. And then just recently, I had a friend share a story where she was out, I don't remember if they were moving cattle or branding, or, you know, some sort of like event, uh, community gathering. And you always go up to people and you always say, you know, how are you? And you always just expect it to be the normal exchange back and forth. I'm good. How are you? You know, that's what we all say. But she said she was so caught off guard when her friend she went up to said, I'm not good. And she didn't know what to say or what to do. And so like Tara mentioned, you know, you might not think this isn't me or this isn't for my loved ones. Um, but even if that's what you're thinking, still bookmark this step, still have it on hand because you just never know when that instance is going to rise where you're like, oh, shoot, this is me. I do need help or oh, shoot, this is my loved one. They do need help. And like, how can I how can I assist in that?
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, in, in, in my job and what we do at at Farm Bureau, uh we spend a lot of time on ag policy and talking about, you know, uh big issues at the federal level and these other things. But when you travel out there and you go to different events, uh you mentioned President Duval sharing a story with you. That's uh, our president at American Farm Bureau, Zippy Duval, and I've heard him uh do that at, at uh, different events traveling around the country, and multiple times I've seen people come up afterwards and say, you know what here? I'm, I'm I'm actually have something I'm going through here, too. And so when when he, he shares it, uh, people feel like they can then come out and say, hey, you know, I actually identify with that. When you break down those barriers and start to actually connect with somebody, it could be a great uh, step forward. And and uh, not everybody has the opportunity or, or maybe feels uh, comfortable doing that, you know with a friend or a family member or a loved one or a stranger or whatever. So uh, that's the goal. That's the goal here with, uh, with the together all approach is it gives you the ability to connect with somebody. You can be anonymous. You can know that you're talking to somebody that can kind of identify with what you might be going through, uh, which is, which is common, you know, across, as you mentioned, across, Ag in rural America, it's a high risk business. A lot of people have so much wrapped in, uh, you know, uh, to to their livelihood and to their farms and ranches. And there's a lot of stress that comes with that. That's a really heavy weight to carry, which can make it a lot more uh, challenging. So I would agree with what you mentioned there, Natalie.
0: Yeah. OK, so one last, you know, call out and, and shout out to Farm State of Mind, you guys and. Um, we are going to move on and kind of jump to our s- second topic, which um, I don't want to downplay the importance, you know, of mental health. But um, I feel like we could sit here and talk about, you know, the importance of it all day long. But I do also want to transition to gene editing because that is something we just got done covering. We actually covered it from, you know, there was some research coming out of, of Kansas looking at, you know, changing wheat and what that could mean for people who are gluten intolerant and you know have celiac or, or can't you know withstand gluten or choose not to have gluten in their diet for whatever reason. And you know we spend time talking about how exciting that is. And and I know there's conversation around, you know, gene editing in the pork and hog industry, too. And initially, when I realized that this was a topic that, you know, the Farm Bureau um, cared about and was interested in, it kind of shocked me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know you guys had your finger on the pulse of gene editing. So I'm very curious if you guys if you maybe just want to share about American Farm Bureau's role in gene editing in general.
2: Sure. Well, we're the voice of agriculture Uh, and we had twenty eight hundred county farm bureaus across the country and 50 state farm bureaus in Puerto Rico that that make up the the American Farm Bureau Federation. And and we try to carry that story forward. So when it comes to things that are important issues in agriculture that we're carrying that perspective of American uh, farm and ranch families forward and, and important issues, things like gene editing rise to the top. And that's, a, that's an important conversation to have between the ag community and, and uh, the, the general uh, you know consumer out there that, that may not spend as much time during their day or their week or their month thinking about these things. So we spend a lot of time trying to communicate and, and, and talk about those, these sorts of issues. And uh, this is an important one. Uh, the story of American agriculture for decades has been one of innovation And been one of of continually feeding a a growing population, providing more affordable, uh, available, nutritious food and doing it in a sustainable way. And so you take technology tools and research uh, like gene editing and and they can have an outsized impact. So uh, we we do like to talk about that and and help uh, be a productive voice in that conversation to make sure people can. Can understand what this actually the the effects and the outcomes that this can have. So I mean, uh, if you're your average consumer out there and you're and you're you're concerned about uh, safety and nutrition and the sustainability of the food that you uh, consume and the uh, economic sustainability of the farm and ranch family that produced it for you, uh, this is a is a great tool for all those fronts. So you mentioned a couple things there, you know, with wheat and others, but but uh, this is gene editing techniques, which again they're, they're just We've, we've been, uh, we've been breeding plants and animals, uh, you know, since the advent of agriculture in human history, uh, everything you eat today is the product of generations of, you know, selective trait uh, uh, development, you know, over, over breeding techniques. And so gene editing is, is one way to that you just fast forward that and you can do something that you might've done over an extreme long period of time. And ag research, if you visit an ag research station across the country, there's there's probably a project that's going on there where somebody's been, you know, breeding some sp- specific uh, 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 plant or, or something for 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 decades sometimes, and gene editing allows us to sort of uh, fast forward that and 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 and, and pull forward, uh, you know, things that are that reduce allergens or. Or uh, make a a, a a plant or an animal more adaptable to uh, you know heat or drought or whatever the issue may be. Use less water, so it's more sustainable in production. Those sorts of things. So we spend a lot of time talking about. Yeah, it.
1: Yeah, there's so many applications for this. Like we talked about the allergy side, but you know, obviously in a place like New Mexico where we are in like some kind of constant state of drought, it kind of seems like like thinking about the uses there and the application there. Like it, it just. It's so far beyond like we're barely I feel like scratching the surface of where this technology could take us. And I think it's actually so fitting that this week's theme for uh, American Farm Bureau is new frontiers when like I think nothing says new frontiers more than gene editing and the possibilities there for agriculture and food. But while like Natalie and I are super intrigued by it, obviously there is like the flip side of the coin, which is exactly what you mentioned, like consumers' perception of it. And so I'd be so curious of how, you know, is American Farm Bureau approaching this to like bring consumers in, have them understand this technology, um, be, you know, educated on it so that they're not fearful of it and that it doesn't turn into, you know, the next like non-GMO movement from this. Like what what role do you see as American Farm Bureau having in that those conversations?
2: Well, it can, it can, t- it can take a lot of different forms. And you know, we we spend time in policy conversations, whether that's with policymakers, we spend a lot of time uh, talking to the public, you know, through our communications efforts. And whether that's through digital or or traditional press and and what we spend our time talking about when when we're uh, out there in the news being asked about these sorts of things, Uh, we're fortunate to have. Uh, farmers and ranchers across the country that can kind of come at this from a first person perspective. You know, there are, there are members that are they're on the farm uh, on the farm and they can say, "Hey, here's what I'm doing on a daily basis. Here's what my goal is. My goal when I get, when I go out and get up every morning is produce safe, nutritious, available food for my neighbors, whether it's someone on the other side of the county or the other side of the country." And and here's a great tool to do that. And they can kind of walk through that from a first person perspective. So we give a lot of uh, tools to our to our members. Uh, to give them the ability to, to be good participants in the dialogue around these issues, and uh, we're fortunate, like I, like I mentioned, have folks across the country, and I think you guys met a lot of them this last week that are great messengers on those sorts of things. So they're in those conversations in a hundred different ways, and uh, you know, the other piece is just being in the conversation with other stakeholder groups. You know, there there are there are folks that, that represent consumers, there are folks that, are, that represent grocers and food manufacturers and uh, any number of type of groups that are in this conversation. And we want to make sure that we're bringing that farmer and rancher perspective to it so that, so that folks can get comfortable with it, feel, can recognize that we share those values around, you know, safety and nutrition and, and feeding people and doing so, uh, doing so in an innovative and sustainable way. And, and uh, the more that you uh, get to learn that, the better I think we're able to realize the the benefits that, that something like gene editing will have for us in the decades to come.
0: Yeah, one of Tara and I's favorite quotes is if you're not at the table, you're not on the table. And I think that when agriculture and you think of food, you know, that's important to us, right? Like we want to be at the end of the day, we want to be on the table and at the table, you know, both having our products consumed and, and partaking in the conversation, like you said, kind of in a camaraderie way where um, they understand we have those same shared values as the person to the left, right and across from us. And so it is just kind of nice to know that, as we said, you know, Farm Bureau is paying attention to this and is, um, you know, making it a forefront, whether like you said, it's at the policy side, or even just like you said, on the producer side, because with social media and so you know so much movement of farmers and ranchers to share their story that could even play a large role in just equipping all of us on how, you know, to talk about it, not just everyone at the upper level, but like you said, kind of from the start to the end. And so that is really great to hear your guys's role and um, interest in that. I think transitioning to our last topic, while it isn't something we just covered on the podcast, like these two other issues, it is something that is really, really important to American Farm Bureau. I would say it's almost kind of probably your guys's beating heart and a, a core component to your guys's um you know, mission, and it, that's the farm bill. And so in closing out, I think we just love to know, you know, moving into 2024, what is American Farm Bureau focusing on when it comes to the farm bill?
2: Sure. Well, that's certainly uh, on the front burner, the farm bill. The last farm bill was in 2018. And for those that might be listening and say, what the heck is the farm bill? The farm bill is uh, is the, the primary legislative vehicle for, for agriculture and food policy at the federal level. So it, it it sort of authorized and directs the United States Department of Agriculture for so many of its programs. There's 12 titles in the Farm Bill. They they touch uh, you know everything from from farm programs to conservation, crop insurance, uh, nutrition, uh, rural development, and and credit, and a number of other things. And there's 29 agencies at USDA, and they go out and do everything from food safety to nutrition to foreign trade, foreign ag trade and other things. And so it says, Hey, what are the priorities here? What do we need to make sure that, that uh, we're con- able to continue the the great record that American agriculture has of providing the most uh, affordable, available, uh, nutritious food supply uh, in the world. And so the, the farm bills has been developed over years and those, uh, the, the programs and things that affect that are all housed in the farm bill. And it's a five-year bill. As I mentioned, 2018 was the was the last farm bill that was passed. And so it kind of guided what all those things look like for the last five years. And there was supposed to be a 2023 farm bill because the 18 bill bill, uh, uh, expired in september September thirtieth of last year, and so the if if, if everything's on time we would have we would have passed a farm bill in, in September and that would have guided you know what uh the next five years are like and the reason it's set up like that is that a lot changes in agriculture and in food over a five year time so that sort of cadence that's set up allows policymakers to go and they gather stake uh, stakeholder input from farm bureau and and other other groups, members, uh, and, and farm and ranch families across the country, and everybody that's interested in food and agriculture. And they say, hey, what do we, what do we need? How do we optimize? Uh, those sorts of things. So that's what it is. What we do at Farm Bureau, our members get out, as I mentioned, and and uh and develop their priorities, meet at twenty eight hundred county farm bureaus across the country. That works its way up to to actually a, a process that we're doing this week and, and developing our priorities here in Salt Lake City. Our, our members vote on what the, those national policy priorities are. And for the Farm Bill, it's things like um, it's about optimizing and enhancing the the farm programs. You know, lots changed in the last five years. In agriculture when you when you think about the pandemic and inflation and input prices and and so many other things so a lot of those programs that are, have been dialed in for a pre 2018 uh, landscape and agriculture need to be updated and so that's a big priority of ours protecting crop insurance of course we know that crop insurance is is, is widely used across the country at, at, across all types of agriculture a very very significant and important tool uh, maintaining the the Conservation programs, Tara. I know you talk a lot about conservation and and have a, a specific interest in that. And that's uh, something that's a great success story over the decades in American agriculture to be able to continue to increase production while while decreasing you know environmental impact and continue to find those solutions. And so we that that market based incentive based voluntary approach we've taken over the decades. We want to keep that. And then, of course, we the Farm Bill also has a, a big nutrition component. Most of the Farm Bill actually is nutrition, and uh, we support making sure that that, uh, that, that those families across the country that might need uh, those sorts of resources when they when they fall on hard times have that have that ability, and so those are the pieces of the farm bill amongst a lot of other things that are that are important to us.
1: It is crazy that the last farm bill was in 2018; it feels like a lifetime ago. Like you said, I mean, our entire world has been like rocked in that amount of time, and like we are coming back out of that and just in a completely different place. I think now more than ever, consumers are interested in where their food comes from. Natalie and I talk about that a lot on the podcast and beyond. Um, so it is a very very different landscape that we are going into this farm bill in than we were in 2018. And it is, I mean, you touched on all of it, but the farm bill is just such a massive bill that people don't even realize all the things I think really at the granular level that go into it and how much it touches people's lives, you know, across the aisle, no matter what political party you are and no matter where you live, like the rural urban divide as well. There is just so much that goes into it. And while Natalie and I were at a you know AFBF this weekend, we brought people along to the workshops and to the convention floor and the cultivating stage. But as you said, the real work is like being done in the rooms, like that are people are voting and you guys are talking about you know the issues that are going to be at the forefront um, of your minds in 2024. And um, I think that's a piece I you know really want to highlight that I think is so cool about American Farm Bureau as well. You are a huge national like representing company and represent farmers on such a big scale. You also are broken all the way down into the county level. Which is just really incredible that you can get that much, you know, detail and that the farmers' voices are truly heard at a national level because of that input at a local level uh, and being able to bring together, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of farmers across all landscapes to have that like unifying voice at a national level. It's so important when you're looking at a farm bill that is just Huge, Um, you know, you can feel like your voice gets lost, but through American Farm Bureau, you have a seat at that table. And so, you know, with that, um, I guess we're coming to time now. I want to say, Joby, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners, um, sharing more about American Farm Bureau and what you guys um, bring to the the farmer voice. And so, um, thank you so much for being here.
2: No, I appreciate you having me. I know you guys are are passionate. So many of your listeners are about uh, about uh, the the farm and ranch families and rural communities and, and being able to to bring that perspective forward that you, you get on the, on your podcast a week in and week out. I've listened to no, a number of your podcasts. I don't know if that makes me a disco or not. You know, I don't know what the, <laughs> the, the fish the uh, did. Yeah. I don't know whether it's one or 10 you had to listen to before y'all, wait. you might send a, a pin or something that I might get in the mail <laughs> at some point, but Uh, But I know I listen and and you guys do that and your listeners are interested in it. And, you know, that's at Farm Bureau. That's what we're passionate about. Our members get up, they go to these county meetings, they serve in leadership positions. The folks that that work for us and for state Farm Bureaus across the country, they're passionate about bringing that farmer and rancher voice forward uh, so that we can continue to have economic sustainability for for farm and ranch families for rural communities deliver that that food fiber and fuel uh, to all of our neighbors and, and help and help bring that story forward so that we have more cohesiveness and more connectivity for folks that don't live that lifestyle and they don't they don't understand if you're if you live in a suburban or ur- urban setting there's so many of these things that you just you're not exposed to and so uh, that's what we try to do we're passionate about it we have a lot of fun doing it I know you guys do too
1: yeah well thank you for being a disco and thank you for all of our discos for tuning in today and we will see you guys next Thursday this has been a 58 ember
0: production for more shows please visit the 58 ember channel
1: 58ember.com or find us at 58 ember media on socials